the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. You can find us or digital versions of us all over the place on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, on Twitter at Common Good Talk, 1160hope.com. You know what also works? What's that? I'm probably not supposed to say this. WYLL.com. WYLL.com works? Mm -hmm. Wow. I tested it. Wow. Which I'm probably not supposed to share. But, it, it, <laughs> but it does. I don't know why I even bothered to find out if it works, but it does. Because I think that actually was the website years ago. And uh, what are you going to do? All right. Well, 1160hope.com. Are you checking it out right now? Nope. Oh, you're doing, but I can. You're doing something. No, don't, yep. don't bother. It's okay. Uh, headlines. Pope Francis wants you to set up a nativity scene to fight banal consumer Christmas. What is going on here? Yeah, it's a pretty interesting story because we know that the Pope... Uh, as from many stories, he is, uh, he's pretty, I don't want to use the word political, but he's got a lot of interest that he's talking about often, right? And so even with the nativity scene, he's trying to make a point. Uh, so let me just read some of it. On Thursday, the Vatican hosted a Christmas tree lighting ceremony ahead of the holidays, but it was the nativity scene that stole the show. Almost entirely made from wood, the nativity scene ticks every box of Pope Francis's pontificate. The plight of immigrants and refugees is depicted by the statue of a man carrying his belongings as he approaches the manger, which is a, the picture of poverty and humility. While the Pope's environmental message is underlined by the fact that the, the creche, is that the word there? Creche? Yeah. Creche? Is entirely plastic free. In a private audience with the Masons and artisans from Italy's northern Trento region, Pope Francis said the scene is, quote, a genuine way of communicating the gospel in a world that sometimes seems to be afraid of remembering what Christmas really is and eliminates Christian symbols only to retain those drawn from a banal uh, commercial imagination. And so... Did I say banal early? Is that it? I don't know. No, I think it's banal. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the proper way. I'm just remembering the well, way that I said it. sounds a little less appropriate than Jeez the other. Jeez Louise. Uh, but it's just interesting because he's trying to say, uh, I do really appreciate the fact of like trying to say the Pope from you know uh, a, a position where there's probably been a lot of things done with grandeur and stuff is trying to say, let's use the nativity scene to uh, try to bring people off of consumerism and try to focus them uh, on some more things that, that are more gospel-centric, that are more uh, what the season is all about. So from that standpoint, uh, good for him. Good for him to try to raise these up a little bit. Now, some people are going to say, yeah, but immigration, environmentalism, like we understand he has a viewpoint on things. Sure. Um, but but in the grander scheme of trying to ask the question, what is really at the heart of Christmas? 
uh, and him making a run at it uh, is, I think, is is worthy. Well, here's what I kind of want to ask you. So we'll kind of steer away a little bit from, like you said, people are going to agree or disagree with his policies or his particular theology, obviously. What are the ways that both you as a pastor and you as a father um, fight consumeristic Christmas mm. season types of temptations? Like, do you guys have specific strategic things that you do to sort of like help steer people away from that? You've noticed this tidal wave of anxiety and, right. and unhealthy purchasing. And are there things that you do at your church, or your family that, that kind of help guard against that a little bit? That's a great question, because I would say I'm just thinking about our, you know, what we did in church this past Sunday. We tried to give. A, we tried to name it. Like, that's how I opened my sermon. I okay. was talking about the craziness of Christmas and yeah. that the goal of us, uh, one of the goals of us as Christians and as a church is to try to remind ourselves what this is all about. So just right. naming it, I think, is important. Uh, where you really got me, though, was uh, what are we doing as a family? Because mm. that one, I would say, for me personally, there's been less strategy around and mm. you just kind of... Um, you guys have talked about previously, haven't you? Or you know, something to wear, something to read, something to experience. Uh-huh. Yep, you guys yep, do that and as try a family, to go back right? to some experiences rather than just gifts. But that's pretty intentional. Yeah. Well, thank you. That makes me feel better <laughs> about myself. And uh, but, it uh, is but I re- imagine some people are hearing that they're like, I've never even considered yep. that much, right? Yep. But I think it, it does. It does highlight the fact that it does take intentionality. It's really difficult. Yeah. Because what, what's so difficult about it though? Why is it so hard to snap turn, out of that? Because every time you turn on the TV, someone's buying two cars for their spouse <laughs> <laughs> that's a real thing for you you brought that up a few times You're like what the, who's doing this it's just i don't ever remember commercials like that and now it's like every other one is like i bought myself a car i bought you a car but it's you're just bombarded <laughs> with all of that that um yeah it becomes really difficult what about you how would you answer that question how about you as a church you as a family what are some ways you're doing that well a couple years ago you know we went through the um the Advent Conspiracy. Have oh, we talked did. about that here on the show we yet? Did. Yep, Advent yep. Conspiracy. Even if you're just interested in learning more, you can go to the website. There's all sorts of videos. But even even more than that, there's links and resources for people who are, you know, they're making products that are fair trade or they're supporting ministries overseas. Or they're, There's a lot of, I think, uh, small tweaks that we can make to be more intentional about it. One of the things that I love that our, our church does um, is called the Gift Mart. And so, you know, our, our church is going to donate something like 12,000 toys, something like that. And then we partner with a whole handful of churches and we set up these actual like gift marts. And oh, then yeah, people yeah. from those neighborhoods can come and then purchase these gifts for like one or two dollars. And then all the money that's made goes into the school that's hosting us. And oh. So the families show up and then we'll often have like an area for the kids to play or whatever. And we'll have like a hot chocolate area we'll even have like a gift wrapping area so it's like a whole experience where they can come and actually pick out a gift rather than just having something handed to them and then all the money that's raised goes back into these schools that these families attend that to me is one of the one of the coolest things that we do as a church because it has a way of sort of and not necessarily in the same way that the Pope is doing this here, but it's sort of a way of like snapping us out of yeah. the hyper individualized consumeristic. Now it's still gifts, you know, so that's still part of it. Um, I think honestly, the evangelical world could do a better job of observing Advent, like truly yeah. Advent as anticipation, mm-hmm. right? As this, you know, in a lot of traditions, they will even fast during Advent yeah. as sort of a longing for both either, you know, the coming Messiah when Jesus was born, but yep. also his return. Like there is something to be said about observing some of these ancient traditions that I think helps crystallize, not letting it become about standing in line for a Black Friday yep. sale. And, and uh, you know, this is, I'm not going to rail on that right now, but 
I think there are small things that we can do. And I don't, you know, my kids are still so young that we're actually in the midst of sort of thinking through, okay, what are our traditions going to be? My parents, every year, we did Meals on Wheels, Thanksgiving and Christmas before, really? before we did gifts, before we did food. And that, I always really appreciated how much that ingrained in us. Like, no, we, we give back first. We serve hmm. first before we, you know, focus on our stuff. And that kind of, that's always kind of stuck in my brain a little bit. That's really impressive because... Like you said, I think the really overarching message for churches and for individuals is it does take a a good amount of intentionality. Right. Like you're not going to be able to slow down or take the focus off of the consumerism because that is just the the full steam ahead move of our culture at this time. Right. Right, It's buy, 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 sell, sell, sell and and find your deals and whatever else it might be. Uh, And then it just becomes really difficult. It becomes difficult to navigate that. Yeah. And I think navigating it is almost even too passive a term, it feels you're, like, uh, to, right. to observe Christmas in a way that I think, I think as Christ followers, at the very least, we should. Yeah. It almost feels like a battle. Like, you have to actively oppose the pull of culture, the volume of culture, and sometimes even in churches, right? The message is sort of subtly just mm-hmm. keep buying, keep doing. And I, I do appreciate yeah. like, what you guys do about thinking through experiences and stuff to read. Um, but even that can kind of creep in. You yeah. know, like my family, yeah. we were thinking through, like, how can we do less gifts, you know, as an extended family? Yeah. And even that becomes complicated. It's almost like... Ah, the easy thing is just, let's just buy gifts for everybody. Let's just do it. You know, because it's like normative. And I think, um, again, at the very least, part of what I think the Pope is getting at here, Pope Francis is is communicating the power of art. And uh, art has a way of sort of like snapping us out of sometimes our sleepwalk state. And I think that's important. So sort of as a segue, I want to talk about Advent a little more Mm -hmm. coming up next, because I think for a lot of particularly Protestant evangelicals, um, we have very little experience with Advent outside of like, oh, aren't those the four candles we like? Exactly. So I want to take a little deeper dive because I think it's a it's a really important but also countercultural thing that the church could do a better job of embracing going forward. So that's all coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins. Brian Fromm is also in the building. I think he's getting a scone or something. Oh, you're here. Oh, oh my right. goodness. Although, if you told me where the scones were, I'll go get them right now. <laughs> you're a scone guy, huh? Sure. Who isn't? I think a lot of people are. Really? I think the biggest complaint is that they're dry. I can see that. Scones are like the turkey God, of God the pastry minutes. God did invent liquids to have alongside them. Did God invent liquids? <laughs> Or did he create liquids? <laughs> I'll go with create. That's good. <laughs> All right, Jeff, scones are dry. I will add. I will give you that. I would love like the invention version of the Bible. Like on the fifth day, he invented the duck-billed platypus. <laughs> Why would he ever do that? He said, if I take a little bit of that, a little bit. Whoa! Oh, there it look is. Look at this, like a Mr. Potato Man of the Animal Kingdom. Uh, <laughs> all right, so if you want to find us, you can go to Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show on Twitter at Common Good Talk, 1160hope.com slash the common good. And uh, I feel like I'm on an Advent kick right now. Yep. That's probably a weird way to put it, but I did. Were you raised in a church that did the candles at least? Did you guys yes. have like a, you did? Yes. Was it a part of the service that you you would actually explain a little bit, or did you just show up and you're like, oh, the second one's lit now? No, uh, my memory of it, which uh, I think I'm correct about this, was we would be having our service, normal, you know, church service, and the pastor would kind of come down and he would call either an individual or a family up. And I remember always getting really nervous 
Like I was going to get called. Like, oh. <laughs> oh, you didn't know ahead of time. No, which now as a pastor looking back surprises me. And maybe the people did. My remembrance of it Interesting. was be, just because I didn't know who it was. Yeah. Maybe they did. Mm, that's um, possible. But we would he would do a reading <laughs> and then the person would light it. And, okay. But that was the extent of it. Okay. That was sort of how we did it at our church. Yep. But our family also adopted it. And it became like a little bit of a family tradition to have the wreath and the candles. And my parents... I mean, they were good homeschool parents. They like they were really yeah. intentional about like this is why this matters. This is what it means in prophetic literature. This is how they would have understood it in the first century. They were pretty. They were pretty good about that. Which was interesting because then, you know, I move out here and then I uh, start interning at churches and I become a pastor. And um, I've had various different experiences with the Advent season. And so I, I found this article from New York Times by Tish Harrison Warren who uh, we've talked about before. We have. I I think a couple of times, actually. But here's the headline. It says, want to get into the Christmas spirit? Face the darkness. Mm. So somebody listening is like, are they going to do a Christmas segment on darkness? Is that a good idea? Yes, we are. But the article is brilliant. So why don't you get us into it, and then uh, we'll unpack it a little bit. I think what's also fascinating before we get into it is that she is a priest in the Anglican Church. Uh, and she writes a lot. And a lot of us in the Christian world know of her. But this was in the New York Times. Like this yeah, was right. an article in the New York Times, which I think is a whole, obviously, another demographic. Oh, right. and, and it's really good. Yep. And so uh, she writes, as darkness lengthens in late fall, we begin to see the signs of the season. Advertisements with giant red bows atop new cars. I touched on that one before. Yes, you did. Christmas music blasting everywhere. The heightened pace of holiday hustle and bustle. Lights and garlands speckling every corner in the city. But inside many church buildings, she writes, this time of year looks different. There we find a countercultural sparseness. The altar is covered in purple, the color of both royalty and repentance. There's a slowing down, a silent stillness. The music turns to minor keys and becomes contemplative, even mournful. The scripture readings are apocalyptic and trippy, strikingly short on sweet tales of babies, little lambs, and Christmas stars. In this small space, <laughs> Christmas season has not yet begun. The church waits in Advent. So we'll stop there. A couple different points. She's saying the church's role is to be somewhat countercultural than what's going on out there. Um, but if I'm really honest, that is not my church history right there. Right. What she just painted when she says inside many church buildings, that is not the church buildings I've been inside. Yeah. And I think that's probably true for a lot of people, yes. to be honest. A lot of people are hearing this, this going, what? what? Yeah, yeah, totally. All right. So she goes on, I think, brilliantly. Uh, in the church calendar, every period of celebration is preceded by a time of preparation. That's true, not just at Christmas time, by the way, which I think yes. is a really, really important Agreed. spiritual discipline. Every period of celebration is preceded by a time of preparation. Historically, Advent, the liturgical season that begins four Sundays before Christmas Day, is a way to prepare our hearts and minds and souls for Christmas. For Christians, Christmas is a celebration of Jesus' birth. That the light has come into darkness, and as the Gospel of John says, the darkness could not overcome it. But Advent bids us first to pause and to look with complete honesty at that darkness. To practice Advent is to lean into an almost cosmic ache, our deep, wordless desire for things to be made right, and the incompleteness we find in the meantime. We dwell in a world still racked with conflict, violence, suffering, darkness. Advent holds space for our grief, and it reminds us that all of us, in one way or another, are not only wounded by the evil in the world, but are also wielders of it, contributing our own moments of unkindness Mm. or impatience or selfishness. Which I imagine, again, some people are listening thinking, well, this doesn't sound very Christmassy at all. It's actually very Christmassy. And that's part of why I wanted to talk about it, because this isn't like a new concept. This isn't some like... 
you know, new age sort of approach to Christmas. This is like deeply historical and deeply bedded in our own tradition. And like you kind of noted earlier, that does not sound like the experience that for a lot of us, particularly in kind of like mainline evangelicalism, this might be the first time people are hearing about that. I'm, I'm curious to know how all of that hits you. Yeah, I, it strikes me as um, and I've got, you know, we both have. Uh, co-workers and friends or not co-workers but people that we know who are in the anglican church and speak of this very highly uh, it's just not how uh, i've been raised or even necessarily how my church does things she wrote i did not grow up observing advent advent and for that matter knowing what it was like many americans my family began celebrating christmas the day after thanksgiving when i started attending an anglican church advent drew me in with its quiet beauty and doleful hymns This season made intuitive emotional sense to me. American culture insists that we run at breathless pace from sugar lace celebration to celebration. Three months of Christmas to the Super Bowl, Mardi Gras, Valentine's Day, Cinco de Mayo, Fourth of July, and on and on. We suffer from a collective consumerist mania that demands we reign optimistic, shiny, happy, and having fun, fun, fun. But life isn't a Disney cruise. And so she goes on to talk about these rhythms that I think are so important. And, uh... But, man, I got to be honest, like growing up and I'm guessing there's people in my church who wouldn't know the difference. This challenges me to begin speaking differently. For me, growing up, Advent was just a weird word that meant Christmas. I I didn't know that Advent season was different from Christmas. And I think that's what she's really getting. And I grew up in the church every week. I was in the church all the time. And for me, Advent just meant Christmas. And I think a lot of people can relate to what she says here next. The tyranny of relentless mandatory celebration leaves us exhausted and often, ironically, feeling emptier. Many of us suffer from holiday blues. And I wonder whether this phenomenon is made worse by the incessant demand for cheer, the collective lie that through enough work and positivity, we can perfect our lives and our world. The church, after all, reserves 12 whole days for feasting and festivity during Christmas. Both darkness and light are real, and our calendar gives us time to recall both. But in the end, Christians believe the light is more real Mm. and more enduring. There's still good news to celebrate, even when perhaps, especially when it's been a hard year. So, and this is, I'll kind of end with this here. The arrival of Christmas Day is not the culmination of the holiday season, but merely the starting pistol for almost two weeks of good food and drink, parties and community gatherings, lights and gifts, service and time together. Times of worship become jubilant and joyful. White replaces purple. Babies are finally placed in mangers and Christmas carols fill the air. My church community tries to keep the party going for 12 whole days, which can be a little hard when everyone else's tree is on the curb and school started up again. But we try nonetheless. Christians are called to take up celebration as intentionally as they take up waiting. That, I think, is an an important charge, but Mm -hmm. even as you've kind of admitted, very different than the traditions you and I come from. And as she mentions, very hard to do when you're like, well, school's back in session and the trees are on the curb. Christmas is done. December 26th or 27th, most of culture goes, okay, on to the next thing. On to New Year's. And Christians do something different. I think the takeaway for me as someone who's never observed the holiday season like this at all is what are one or two steps that you can take to – to not even change how you do things, but to remember that it's not all fun, fun, celebration, celebrate. Like, what are a couple steps we as a church or me as a family or an individual can incorporate? I think that's an important question, Pastor Brian From and Thank one you. that I think maybe we'll revisit a couple of times between now and December 25th. All right, coming up next, I don't know if you saw this or not. This is kind of a hard right turn. Jimmy Fallon asked his viewers if they've ever been caught red-handed And here are 17, we can't read all 17, here are some of the best responses. That's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Well, howdy, 
everyone. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with City Slicker Brian Fromm. Couldn't think of any other... So you thought City Slicker? Are you not a City Slicker? I don't even know what it's... How would you define a City Slicker? I've never lived in a city. Well, you're not a cowboy. That is a true statement. I think a I non-cowboy... Mean, far thing from a cowboy. Far yeah. thing, <laughs> a.k.a. City Slicker. Okay. I um, think... Then I will own it. Not that I think you... Uh, what was the movie? Who started in the movie? Billy Crystal? Billy Crystal, I yeah. love that movie. Do you really? I do. Well, that's it's a why. great movie. That's, let's go with that, then. Every pastor has used that. What's your one thing? And he wanted the guy to tell him what his one thing was, but... I don't remember this at all. I'm, I'm handing you a sermon illustration because he realizes his one thing is his family. Aww. But you, Oh, it's a home run, man. Wow. Billy Crystal there going, it's my one thing. Man, talk about current cultural references <laughs> <laughs> your church must be eating those up uh, alright so sometimes we do segments that are like deep and complicated and heart wrenching and sometimes honestly I just want to do ones that are fun and there might be some underlying meaning here I don't actually anticipate that there will be but sometimes it's just fun to have fun so yep. this is the headline uh, Jimmy Fallon asked his viewers if they've ever been caught red handed here's 17 of the best responses if you're actually following along with a tally or something you're going to say wait a minute they didn't mean 17 that's because a number of these we cannot read over the air um, for <laughs> reasons that I can't get into it certain right. standards that we're right. not allowed to standards at all right so <laughs> so why don't you just we're just going to read some of these and maybe we'll uh, interject some of our own personal experiences along the way I just love that it's hashtag I got caught yes right right <laughs> Uh, so the first one's this. I sent my husband a text to tell him our friend was going to leave her husband. Accidentally sent it to her husband. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you should just sit on that one for a minute. Jeez like, that one is unreal. Okay, this next one's pretty funny. Called in sick to work one day. Saw one of my students at the beach. We nodded as we both realized we were skipping my class. <laughs> Hashtag I got caught. <laughs> Did you see their their uh, their Twitter handle is at drunk teacher? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't notice that. Oh, no, I think it's yeah at a drunk te- teacher. Not that that's any better. Nope, nope, nope. Uh, the next one, and we'll we'll scrub this one a little bit. Send a text to my husband. Forgot his mom was in the group chat with us. <laughs> yeah, but you scrubbing it makes that not make sense. It was uh, it makes sense. We'll it was put it that an way. intimate text of sorts. Yes, and Brian only changed one letter. <laughs> um, all right, looking up a guy's info on a college computer, heard his voice behind me telling me how to correctly spell his last name. <gasps> no <laughs> way. Can you imagine? Like, this is, I don't know why I'm doing this segment, because these are kind of giving me anxiety. Like, I feel like I'm experiencing these are great. that same, like, oh, my gosh, he's right behind me. Like, we, who, we've all been in similar yes. places like that. Yes. That's terrifying. Uh, the next one is, I called off sick to go to a music festival. The next day, my boss said, next time, don't stand in the front row. You were on TV. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. All right, I'm going to skip this next one. No, I could probably do this one, right? Yeah, I think so. You think so? Yeah. Maybe right. not our first month, but we're in month 11 now. People we are like turning up the volume. Like, what's he about to say? Uh, here we go. After a shower, I stood naked for a sec by the window watching a cat. Just then, the Google Maps camera car <laughs> drove down my street. Ah, I like that they included um, the, the fact that they were looking at a cat. Like, we needed to know that. <laughs> I Next one. I copy and pasted an entire APA paper in high school my senior year, handed it in, got a zero out of 100. Oh, boy. That's funny. That's not. That one's more sad than anything. Uh, I am going to skip that one. I'm going to skip that one, too. <laughs> uh, 
This one's kind of out of a movie. I snuck out at age 15 to go to a drinking party. The doorbell rang. I answered the door. There stood my mom. <laughs> you ever had a moment like that? You you weren't like that. You I wasn't a rebellious guy. kid, I were you? I was not. So you I never had like the caught red-handed by your folks thing? So the closest thing, and this was weird because this is going to be, everyone's going to be like, yeah, right. But it was literally like the first time I blew off curfew. And I missed it by like two hours. Like, say I was supposed to come oh, home at midnight. You, you went for broke. It was like my senior of high school. I think I was supposed to be home by midnight, say, and I got home at like two. Oh, like, I'd been out with friends. And uh, I walked in, and my room was next to my parents' room. And I'll never forget, like, I'm like sneaking down, and I get past their room, and my mom goes, you really know how to scare your mother. And I was like, oh, oh my gosh. no. Only did I later learn, and as a parent, this is like, like parenting 101. I don't know why I didn't realize this, but they left the hall light on every night. Oh, and then yeah. when I got home, I would just turn the light off, not even thinking you about it. You turned it off? <laughs> and just so, to signal them, like, it's me. I'm here. And so they wake up at whatever time of the morning, and the hall light's still on. And, like, of course, I'm not home yet. Yeah, so, right. Yeah, that was a bad Can one. I share one that I'm not really proud of that I am hesitant to even share at all? all? I'm even more excited to hear it now. So I grew up in a huge family, right? So we had a 15-passenger van. That was our family van. It was like a shuttle bus. And uh, one night after my parents were asleep, we took the we took the uh, seats out. And then, you know, when you want to borrow the vehicle without them knowing, you put it in neutral and then you push it out the driveway and then you start it a little bit further down the block. Yeah. So we, I mean, uh, I don't know what you're talking about. Yes. Yeah, I'm sure. Right. So I read in a book. So we took the van and a couple of buddies of mine, we uh, stole a bunch of construction cones and closed off the entrances to freeways. So we, oh, my yeah, goodness. We would steal the barrels and then close off whole entrances um, because we thought that'd be funny. Now as like an adult, like oh I want to go goodness. punch 16-year-old Ian. But while we were doing this, and that really ruined some people's mornings, I'm sure of it. Oh my, uh, my buddy Aaron found a down uh, stop sign, like one of those construction stop signs. He was like, oh, I want it. And we're like, all right, man, throw it in the back. And uh, that next morning, my mom screams down. And she says, what is this? And we run upstairs, and there's just a stop sign that was just thrown in our backyard that my buddy had just thrown didn't even hide it. And she's like, where did this come from? And I was like, well, w- you might want to sit down for this one. This <laughs> don't was, turn the news on. Yeah, don't turn the news on. Yeah, they were not. That's a bad one. They were not pleased with this. Uh, next one, when my boss caught me dozing off at my desk, I raised my head slowly and said, amen. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had the wherewithal to even try that. Um, okay, here's one. On a first date and sent a text to what I thought was my buddy saying, this date is awful, SOS. I actually sent it to her. <laughs> Can you imagine being at the table, getting that from the person you're on a date with? Oh, my gosh. That sounds awful. So here's one from Jimmy Fallon himself. Uh, he wrote, I Googled the guy before meeting him. Later, I pulled out my phone to show him a picture of my dog, and he saw the picture of him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Um, yeah, I'm not going to do that one. Let's see. Uh, fuck. I'm not going to do that one either. Hi. How, how These are maybe not that inappropriate, are they? No, I don't think so. Parents found out my bro through a house party after finding the Wi-Fi password pinned up everywhere. His excuse? I forgot it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> the last one was one time I said this girl writes, one time I successfully took a picture of a guy without him noticing. Unfortunately, 
his friend was right behind me. Oh, gosh. <laughs> the, the answer here on this one is like, quit taking secret pictures of people. <laughs> that's, well, that's the only one, really, right? I thought there was one earlier, but maybe. Yeah. Have you, uh, th- here's something that I find that we talk about a lot, though, particularly with celebrities. Sometimes you and I are a little skeptical when someone issues an apology that doesn't really feel like an apology. Like, yeah. You're not actually sorry. You're sorry you got caught. Yep. Right? Yep. Like, some of these tweets remind me of like how inclined we are. To just have remorse for something that we did rather than... Oh, I have one last one. Oh, you do? A personal story? So my brother was a senior in high school. I was a freshman, so I did whatever he said, right? Like, go follow him along. He he wanted to miss school one day without my parents' notice, knowing I'm totally going to out my brother here. But my parents found out. You'll find out the story. So him and I, we we told my parents we were driving to school. And we like drove to the mall or something. Yeah, something crazy, right? We we blocked the intersections with cones or something. So uh, <laughs> I'm sure you did. Later on, we come home and my dad calls me in and he's like, "What are these?" And in before him are like 20 different excuse notes my brother had practiced and no. then into the garbage. <laughs> he wrote them down. <laughs> Your brother's probably like clearing his browser history right now. Oh, like it, <laughs> it was so funny. So we both got in trouble for that. The learning lesson was don't throw them in the garbage. Well, the real lesson of this is uh, they'll let anyone be a pastor. So <laughs> that's, the, that's the takeaway from this segment. We'd love to know. Maybe we'll share this one. What are some of your I got caught stories? I personally would find that really funny from our uh, common good listeners. That would be <laughs> maybe we won't share them online if you don't want nope. us to. But that would be a fun segment to do. You've been listening to the common good right here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us all over the World Wide Web. The internet, by the way, is birthdays today. Is that a true statement? It is not true. No, it's okay. false. I'm sorry. I just wanted to see if I could bait you. You you can't. You say stuff with just this deadpan look where you're like, oh, must be true. <laughs> Happy birthday, internet. <laughs> Do I have a believable face? Well, in those moments, you, there's very but little you know, like... those moments? What does that mean? Just to in general. But I mean, when you do those specifically, mm. it's just kind of like, oh, it's the internet's birthday. Was it the specificity? Like, why would he lie about that? Exactly. <laughs> yes. Happy. Well, thank you, Al Gore. Yeah. Oh, boy. No. Not Al Gore. Uh, no. He didn't, he didn't make the internet? <sighs> Have you we ever should... seen the Today Show uh, segment from 1994 that went all around the internet? Oh, it was on a commercial not too long ago. Really? About Katie the internet? Katie Couric and Brian Gumbel and somebody else discussing, trying to, it was 1994. Wow. And so they did a segment about the internet. Yeah. And they were trying, they they were like, they couldn't understand it. It was really fascinating. That doesn't feel that long ago. Nope, 1994. That's great. I don't, I'm going to go find that now. Yeah. All right. So uh, a good buddy of mine, we not only were roommates in college, we've played in three bands together. Just one of my, one of my favorite dudes on planet Earth. His name is Dan Lugo. He's a really, really great worship pastor, but also someone who just thinks deeply about worship. He's a great follow on Twitter. Uh, I think his Twitter handle now is like newish worship pastor or something like that. <laughs> used to be new and then he and I both got old. But anyway, I read the stuff that he shares and likes and retweets just because I think that he's got an incredible perspective. He's a practitioner, but he also thinks like a theologian. Yep. And I love that merging of like not just an ivory tower somewhere. He's actually living it out, yep. but interested in thinking more deeply about the things that we do week in and week out. So he shared this article, nine best practices for leading multi-generational worship. I'm going to tell you quickly, the reason I like even that title is because I feel like the vast majority of these types of articles I read say nine tips for reaching millennials. Oh yeah. And it feels so lopsided. Like we're just, what can we do to reach the young people? Which by the way, millennials are now like turning 40. So Gen Z and beyond, but this is really kind of framed around 
multi-generational worship, which I think is a really important conversation and one that maybe not enough churches are having. It begins by saying, if you lead worship in a local church, there's a good chance it's multi-generational. Unless you've specifically planted a young adult church or leading a youth movement, you have middle schoolers to great-grandparents in your church gathering to sing today. Sound like fun? It's actually one of the most challenging aspects of local church, worship ministry. Worship wars, too many preferences. If our goal is to make everyone happy, it's an impossible task. It takes big vision. It takes collaboration to have an expansive view of the kingdom that is more than sounding cool and singing popular songs. So here are the nine best practices. I'll let you kick them off because I think all nine of them are really great, really thoughtful, and really helpful. Yeah, number one's become an arranger. You can get away with modern aggressive songs as long as it's positioned well in a set. Oftentimes, a worship set contains three songs that are all driving, rhythmic, and loud. Mm -hmm. You're not helping yourself with that. Arrange the set to contain ups and downs, high energy and space. Grow in your skill as an architect uh, the whole worship experience. That's really good. Number two, focus on the voice of the people. Don't be so concerned with how you and your band sound. Place emphasis on the corporate singing of God's people. No matter the set, I always, every single time, utilize voice-only moments for people to sing. Even using drum-only choruses to encourage the church to rise up is so helpful. How you lead is way more important than what you lead. Uh, number three. Learn to love old and new. The church is both old and current. Right. We stand on the shoulders of saints who have gone before. Our worship liturgy should include new and old expressions. If you don't love that, learn to love it. It's important. Number four, connect off stage. Rather than just hanging out with your band backstage, go start a conversation with the old ladies in the back row. Mm. Look them in the eye. Pray with them. Also, hang around youth. Don't be shy. Force yourself into situations where you have to talk and interact with all generations. Make a connection off stage, mm. which seems obvious, but is, uh, is definitely a rarity. Yeah, absolutely. Number five, get creative. Creativity and relevancy doesn't have to be edgy and loud. If you're wanting to shake up your sound, Hillsong Young and Free isn't the only option. That's right. Do a whole set with cello and drum pads. Try three acoustic guitars and no electric. Use more piano. Sing without your acoustic guitar. Bring a vibraphone. On, I have no idea what that is. A I'll vibraphone on stage with an electric guitar playing swells. Like I could not define most of that sentence, but it sounds awesome. <laughs> No approach is sacred. Sacred. Get creative. I love it. Number six. This one maybe seems obvious. Love Jesus. Nothing <laughs> connects the generations like a love for Jesus. This can't be overstated. They may not love your music, but they will follow your pursuit of God, provided it is genuine and real. Make that the center of all you do. A wild pursuit of his presence. That one maybe should have been number one. <laughs> yeah. Number seven. Cast a big vision. Multi-generational worship isn't simply a battle between loud and soft music or new and old songs. It's a leadership problem. It takes a leader who believes in the multi-generational church deep in their bones, have conversations with people, cast vision with the platform, paint a compelling picture for the church you'd like to see and be ready to fight for it. That's so good. Number eight, collaborate with your lead pastor. It's possible that no one knows multi-generational worship like your lead pastor. They may not be a musician or have experience leading worship, but they know their people. Be proactive about starting conversations about how you can serve the congregation better in worship. And the number nine, last one for him in his list. Uh, this is a guy by the name of right David Santa Stephen. Santi Stephen. It's a great last name. I think it's pronounced Hardcastle. <laughs> Ooh, going back to yesterday's show. Well, yesterday's show. Just trying to keep it. Number keep nine. It See, if you want to know the inside jokes, you got to listen to the shows. That's a weird tease. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> Number nine. Look at the big picture. <laughs> Most worship leaders think in terms of songs. One fast song, two slow uh -huh. songs. 
Rather than just thinking in terms of the songs you're going to sing, consider the wider story of the gospel. Think in terms of an immersive experience in the presence of God. This includes songs, but can also include scripture, exhortation, spoken words, videos, and other creative elements. That's so good. All right. So here's the question that I want to lay on you because you've mentioned numerous times on the show. You're like, I'm not the musician. I'm not the creative type, Mm -hmm. but you are a lead pastor. I am. And I know for a fact that you deeply care about your church and your community and you care about these things. You care about everyone who shows up to Four Corners feeling like seen and known, cared for, right? I know that you don't want to just simply be a young church or an old church. Right. How how does this list hit you in thinking about your own services, your own practices? Uh, yeah, that's a great uh, question. It does hit me in the sense of, I think we can... Um, so I love the old hymns, but you sometimes okay. sometimes we can treat, our church or just newer churches in general, can treat old hymns as like, Tossing a bone to the older people, right? Like that's uh, as opposed to almost. be like this is as important as mm. the Hillsong song that we did, or the name your thing, or we take all the old hymns and always change them. I'm for changing them sometimes. Sometimes they've been redone in this, but right, it does feel a little odd when every time it gets changed, right? And so I do think helping people. You know, like not not seeing the hymns as like, hey, this is for all you old people. But instead, the worship leader, the pastor being like, let me tell you why we're singing this. Like, yes. This is like right. at the core of who we are as Shepherd a faith. Them, Here right? we yes. go. Uh, and I also appreciate, apart from the worship, to be a multi-generational church, uh, I do think people of all generations need to see in their leadership that they care about us equally. Right. Like, Agreed. yes, I might talk to the older person in the corner, but it's kind of an annoyance. But I'm going to laugh and hang out with the guy who's oh, my right. age and we're going to yuck it up. That's good. The person over there is like, well, you didn't give me that same energy. That's like, right. I do think it takes some intentionality. I think it's hardest for people our age with on both ends of the spectrum with the people who are a lot older than us but also the people who are a lot younger than us. Cause like, I, right. you know, I don't know. Sure. I'll come talk to you and we'll do this. What do I say though? Right. Exactly. So I think people need to see that we genuinely care about all multi-generations and then the, the generations will show up. It's the same thing with ethnicity, right? Right. Right. Uh, we're not trying to be multi-ethnic for the sake of being able to say we are, but right. because there's a bigger picture there. Well, and that's the thing that always convicts me. Cause I remember popular being asked a number of times, Hey, how do you guys, how do you do this multi-generational thing? And mm. I never knew what to say other than, I don't know, treat people like they matter because Good. they do. It's like true. It's, you know, like if there's an issue, like, hey, the font's too small for me to read, like, think it over yourself and make the font a little bigger. Yeah. Like, I know that it's maybe not the hippest thing for you to do like that. And I love how many things in this list have nothing to do with the stage. Yes. Like how Absolutely. you connect with people before and after, how you're actually pursuing Jesus. That kind of stuff matters. And it's not just about like this perfect, flawless execution of a song. Which is, you know, I think where a lot of that kind of ends up. And uh, I think this was a really challenging list. Thanks. Shout out to my friend Dan Lugo for kind of always keeping this stuff out in front for all of us. Well, you've been listening here to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Ian Simpkins here. And after we had this marriage conference with Thrivent and two other local churches, it kind of piqued my interest to learn more about this organization. We had such a good response with them at the conference. I was kind of interested in seeing what else they did. And so they actually provided me with this list of like 12 or 13 different topics that they offer free workshops for people that want to be wise with money and live generously. And the thing that was crazy is that each of these topics were things that people in my church were actually asking me, things that 
I didn't really know how to talk about. And so they offered numerous free workshops for the people in our church to help them be wise with money and to live generously. And let me tell you, it was this really beautiful sort of no strings attached kind of a, we want to help you do this better. And that was kind of the continuation of my relationship with Thrivent and being really grateful for the ways that they were coming alongside us and the local churches around us. And if you're interested at all in learning more, I cannot encourage you enough to head to Thrivent.com today. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome back to The Common Good. We missed you. We're so glad that you're still here or joining us for the first time. If that's true, you can go back and listen to the rest of the show via the podcast. If you're a podcaster, we do thank you for that. Uh, It takes just a minute, maybe even less, to like, subscribe, and review any of those nice reviews or comments or shares. It does actually magically help us out. Plus, we're on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show. You can like and review there as well. You can go to 1160hope.com slash The Common Good, and all the previous shows are there. Our initial like launch video is there. We were so young. So young was, back then. It was a year ago. We were so nervous. I have way too much gel in my hair. <laughs> I was trying way too hard. My shirt is way too nice. <laughs> Bo- both of our shirts. It's the photo that's on all the posters yes, and stuff now, is. and I'm always like... I don't dress that nice ever. Like it is, I was like my first go around. That's not true, but I got it dry cleaned. Yeah, super proud of that. All right, so I I teased it up a little bit. Brad Paisley and his wife, Kimberly, opened a free grocery store to help people in need. It says country music star Brad Paisley and his wife, Kimberly Williams Paisley, have opened a free grocery store in Nashville, Tennessee, to help people in need. Quick pause, not really the main point. Are you a country music guy? Uh, not really, but I did in college went through a really serious Garth Brooks stage. You did? I did. I listened to Garth Brooks all the time. Where is he from? Garth Brooks? I have no idea. Oh, I thought maybe he was a Jersey guy or something. No, 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 oh, no, no. no. Okay. I, but I don't know where he's from. Like, I don't know even if he's considered like real country music. But I think he's called arena country. Okay, okay. I'm making all of this up. I no I'm, not a, I'm not against country. I guess I would say I don't like if... I, the next time I listen to a Brad Paisley song will be the first. So it's not like no. I spent time listening to Brad Paisley and went, I don't like that. That's fair. So, all right. So the. You, uh, hold on, you. You're a music guy. The story continues. Uh, not a country guy. <laughs> well, that's the thing, Brian. I don't love arena country, but I really like like bluegrass. Like, okay. The old school front porch, rickety old. Like that stuff actually is, is quite enjoyable to me, but not, not like pop country, no. The supermarket is called The Store and allows families who are referred by nonprofit and government agencies to shop at the grocery store free of charge for one year so they can get back on their feet. I love this premise already. There's all sorts of parts of my brain that are like, how was that possible? How is that feasible? But it goes on. It says the store operates like any other market. Customers walk through the aisles to pick out their own fruits, vegetables, cereals, etc. that they need and check out at the register. But the main difference is that no money changes hands. With the help from Second Harvest Food Bank of Middle Tennessee and other organizations, they will provide the food to the shop. In addition, all of the food to the store will meet dietary guidelines created by mm. dietitians from the food bank. The store located at Pace's alma mater, Belmont University, at 2005, two, what? It's just the address. It is? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. At 2005 12th Ave South, next to the university's ministry center and close to local bus routes. The idea came after Paisley... 
after the Paisleys with their children went to the Unity Shop, a 100-year-old free grocery store in Santa Barbara, California. We took our boys to Unity Shop to teach them about serving others and giving back to people in need, Paisley said. And we came away surprised by what the organization had taught us. Most people don't want handouts. They want dignity and respect. Most people want to become self-sufficient. So I'm curious, just as an idea, as a concept, what do you, what do you think about this move? Oh, it's unbelievable, I think. I think it is. I'll believe it, Brian. It is really impressive that they are putting their money, because this is no cheap endeavor, I'm sure. Right. Uh, it sounds like it, but it's also very well thought out, right? Uh-huh. Like, it's they're partnering with a food bank, and they're still making the people check out because they talk about the dignity aspect of it. Uh, they're providing job training as well as cooking and nutrition classes. I love that. Like, all of this is really good, and there might be some cynical people out there going, well, but that guy's got more money than he knows what to do with, right? Like, like do another commercial with Peyton Manning, like you see Brad Paisley all the time. And they're you pretty can pay commercials. They're great. <laughs> but I don't think that's the point. Because there's a lot of people out there with a lot of money who choose not to do this kind of thing. So I think, uh, I think a the Paisley should be applauded for uh, putting whatever amount of money it is of theirs towards something like this. And I think the creativity of it and the thoughtfulness of it is something that should challenge all of us. Yeah, uh, churches want to help people. Um, individuals when you're wanting to help people, what is actually helpful? And it sounds like they really thought that through. It wasn't just. Hey, here's free food. Go have at it. They said, no, we were being told by people, people want to be self-sufficient. So how do we help in that process? I think this is fabulous. Well, and it's actually really similar to the same ethos behind Gift Mart where we we have these families paying a dollar, two dollars for these gifts. But they actually get to walk through what we set up to look like a shop so they can actually shop, right? Like nothing... Not nothing, but it it can feel pretty dehumanizing. You're like, oh, here's a soccer ball, and you're like, my son plays basketball. Like that, mm-hmm. you know. That's thank you, but that's not actually what he wants or what he needs. And I think, you know, have, are you familiar with the Panera Cares movement? Yeah, where they go ahead. Tell it's me. like a pay what you want. Oh no, I'm not. Yeah, but it's, they're, they're pay what you want uh, Panera locations. And there was one in my hometown of Dearborn, Michigan. Oh really? Yeah, and I was even talking with. Do they look different? Like, would you nope. know that they're different? Okay. No, it just has like a like a heart on the logo or something really subtle. But they're set up really like yeah, like like Paneras, and they were you know they were talking about how much waste there is, and that's kind of inevitable, and how they are able to sustain. And often, what will happen is some people will come and they'll pay double, and that kind of goes towards making it more available. Wow. And I've heard even of independent coffee shops doing this, where um, you can kind of pay it forward rather than just sort of dollars. You can buy a token. Some I've I've seen some places use a tag so that somebody else, oh. you know, especially like in in colder regions of of the country, where someone can come and just get a free cup of coffee, and it's not just the organization offering the free coffee. It's actually people from the community choosing to sort of pay it forward so that people That's on a cold cool. day can go get a free cup of coffee. And uh, I'm actually kind of part of the most surprising piece of this whole article is that what's it called? The Unity Shop. Yeah. Has been doing this for a hundred years. Yeah. A hundred year old free grocery store. Like I've never even heard of that. Nope. Nope. Why are we not talking more about these things? Like how, how is that possible that there are organizations doing things like that, that most of us have like never even heard of? Yeah. One, that one's not in our backyard, right? That's in Santa Barbara, California. But I think that there are probably really few and far between. Yeah. Probably. And that communities and churches and nonprofits could be thinking in this way uh, and probably make these things happen. Man, it just sounds like a lot of work and a lot of money. Uh, but boy, I I really 
it's it's not just the financial investment by the Paisleys behind this that is impressive to me. It's the thoughtfulness behind yes, it. Yes, right. And it's the we want to help our community, right? It's right at his alma mater at Belmont. I didn't know. Hey, I didn't know Brad Paisley went to Belmont, but yeah, neither did I. Uh, but it's right there too in his community. Like all of this is to be really celebrated. I'm impressed by it. So, so why do you think we see so few celebrities do stuff like this? And maybe not so few. Maybe there's just information overload, and a whole lot more of them are doing it than we realize. But like you know, like you said to the skeptic listening, they're like, yeah, he just has more money than he knows what to do with. Uh, why do you think moves like this are so rare when when some of these needs are so obvious? Yep, never having been a celebrity, I would say. Um, Yet. Yeah, crossing my fingers on this show here. Uh, I would say... <laughs> I didn't see it going that way. <laughs> I would say, you know what? Hum- human nature, whether you have $20 or $2 million, is probably uh, to be selfish with it and hoard it and, and, buy- and use it on yourself. I would mm. guess... I don't think if you handed me $2 million, all all of a sudden it would unlock in me this generosity that I just hoped would be out there. Hmm. So that's one. Uh, I do know that, you know, I actually knew the guy who was a pastor in Brad Paisley's church down in Nashville. No kidding. And I think that this is coming out of something deeper, right? Like, I think this is, you hear Belmont University, you hear this church. Right. I think it's coming out of something deeper. Hmm. And so I think there's that, too. I I don't think more money... Uh, naturally leads to greater generosity. Oh, I think there's studies that prove that, actually. Yeah, and so therefore, just to say, well, he's got the money to do it, I don't think most people would just do something like that if you had Brad Paisley money. So I think it speaks more to him and his wife's character than it does their bank account. Yeah, and I I appreciate, too, it's part of what I love about the inclusion of the Unity Shop there, because that's not run by a celebrity. Nope. And had... We not read this story. I never would have heard of it, mm-hmm. which means there's a long legacy of people who are just sort of faithfully, quietly, like reaching out and caring for people in their community. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that what is the catcher in the rye quote? It's the mark of an immature man to want to die nobly for a cause, but a mark of a mature man to live humbly for one. Oh, wow. I think the we all, especially in the United States, right? We we love we love the idea of like going out in a blaze of glory yeah. for my cause. You know, it's the end of Braveheart. It's the, <laughs> the idea of just like simply living humbly for things that are just true for all of us, like yep. just a care for people and seeing needs and meeting those needs in whatever way that we can. And I mean, what was the Andy Stanley quote? Do for one what you wish you could do yeah. for everyone. Yeah. You know, sometimes we'll look at yeah. hunger or homelessness. We're like, well, I can't care for all these people. Uh, it's like, too yeah, big. It's you, too big. You can care for one. Yep. Start, start there. Right. I think it was, man, I'm not going to quote roll. Mother, Mother Teresa. You are quote. This is impressive. Man, I, like oh, man. I like she these. She said we can do no great thing, no great acts, just small acts with great love. Mm. From Mother Teresa. And you're three for three on the quotes. Those are good. Oh, <laughs> Those are good. I felt pretty good about that. You can verify. I wasn't even looking at my screen for this. Yes, those. that is a 100% true. Either way, this was not like a breaking news story, but sort of like a feel good. Like, all right, what's especially during the stress of the holidays yes. and all the stuff going on, like what would it look like for us to just be more mindful of the needs of the people around us? What are the ways that we can get creative to help alleviate these things? And I think whether you're a Jesus person or not, like we can agree like, man, less hungry people, less homeless people, that, that would be a, a, a solution worth working towards. All right. Well, coming up next here, speaking of holidays, um, I found this really interesting and it comes in the form of a comic. How can you help a grieving friend during the holidays? This is a, a, a topic that I've heard a lot of people talk about in the last couple of weeks. So we're going to unpack that's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. That is a song about Job. This is? Yes. It's pretty melancholy. Yeah, it's really... It's David Bazan, super melancholy in general. He kind of broke up with Christianity about a decade ago. He had been... He had been... 
like a pretty successful uh, Christian artist. He had a band called Pedro the Lion that he would record all the instruments himself in the studio. Oh. Just a super talented multi-instrumentalist. Then kind of had sort of a public, sort of broke up with Christianity via songwriting, to be honest. Really? So now he has sort of walked away from all of it, but still has like a really strong like Christian support base. And I think particularly people that are like in the midst of their own deconstruction or whatever. I don't know. It's, it's are his newer strong or his newer songs still about deconstructing the faith or that mm-hmm. he just kind of gone away from the faith. And it's no, that's, that's the thing. And I think his dad's a pastor. I think on this song, actually his pastor father plays the piano. If I recall correctly. Wow. So a lot of his songs still are about faith. The first song of that record talks about something like, are we, are we to believe that because a couple of people ate a piece of fruit in the garden, that's why we're all doomed? Like, it's sort of that kind of these big yep, philosophical yep. questions. And it's got a Christmas album that's really good. It came out a couple of years ago. Before all this? No. Oh, no, no. It was in the midst of all of this. Wow. Yeah. I think the album's called Dark Sacred Night. Again, super melancholy. But if you're someone who really, really doesn't like Mariah Carey type energy in Christmas music, you might, uh, you might actually enjoy it. Mm. All right. So... How about I read a liner before (laughs) we get into all of that? Uh, Now through the end of the year, your donation to Focus on the Family will be doubled. You can learn how you can help at 1160hope.com, keyword family. Mm -hmm. Now, this might be a first for us here. This isn't really an article. It's actually like a comic strip. And uh, the headline is from refugeingrief.com, which is actually a pretty killer website. If you or someone you know is in the midst of grief or experiencing grief. And the headline here is, how can you help a grieving friend during the holidays? It's an important question. It's a really important question. It says, grief is hard any time of the year, but the holiday season can feel particularly brutal. If you're trying to support someone you love, this comic is for you. And if you'd like some help educating friends and family on the best way to support you, this comic is for you too. So again, obviously it was meant to be a visual, um, but I just found it so intriguing and such a helpful way to communicate some of these things that we're just going to read through it anyway. But you can go to Facebook at uh, the Common Good Radio Show and you can find the actual comic itself. And I hope that you find it helpful. So why don't you walk us through it a little bit, Brian? Yeah, the first one right here on the on the first page says grieving people would love your help and support this holiday season. They know you're trying and that it's hard to see them in pain. So even though you can't make their holidays, quote, good, here are some ways you might help. Yeah. And so the first one has three uh, boxes and the first one's a guy with his arm around the obviously grieving person says he just says to him don't be sad he wouldn't want you to be hmm. that's clearly uh not the way to help a grieving person hmm. the next one is two people around somebody who's clearly grieving and the one person says just come you will feel better if you get in the holiday spirit yeah you just need to get out of this house so kind of come to us and let's just pretend everything's fine wow uh and uh, the fourth, the third one that's hard is somebody bringing over a Christmas tree that says, I think what this place needs is a Christmas tree. Just kind mm. of, again, kind of masking the pain. Yeah, right. I think the message of that comic strip there is uh, just because it's Christmas, don't don't pretend that the person's not hurting. Yeah. And well, that just bringing by some Christmas cheer is going to make everything better. Which is often more about like our discomfort yeah. with their grief than anything, right? It's sort of like, oh, what do I say? What am I supposed to do? And. The one before all that says when you're grieving, getting through the holidays can feel extra hard. People want to help, but they really don't understand what you need. It's hard to celebrate when your heart is broken and has these individual panels. The first guy says, my sister died three days before Christmas. I keep thinking this time last year. I hear that one all the time, by the way, especially when it's near the when the marker is near the holidays. 
it feels like that whole season now yes. is sort of veiled under that grief. The second one says, I wish I could still love the holidays, but since my child's death, all the joy has gone out of things. Mm. Third one says, I feel so tired just thinking about it. How can we celebrate when mom's not here? It seems wrong to pretend everything's normal. Um, and then it has this person, and this is why I think visually it's so helpful, this person that's clearly grieving and says, uh, I know this year has been hard on her. I just don't know what to say or do to make it better. So again, kind of owning the idea that a lot of us, uh, especially if you're more like socially aware, you know, maybe you're an empath or you just kind of pick up on people's sadness. That's only like half the battle because I know yeah. plenty of people that will say, yeah, we were at an office party and I could tell she was really grieving, but I didn't even know how to approach her. I didn't even know how to begin the conversation. And I think because people often feel uncomfortable, they just would rather not say anything at all. And I think that's not helpful either. Yeah. This one is pretty powerful. It says, uh, it's a guy who's grieving saying, please, please talk about her, share a memory about her, uh, uh, name saying her name. Uh, it won't break me. I want to be reminded of her. It makes me feel connected to her in that moment. Oh man, that's good. I, I think I have that when people are grieving, especially when it, when you don't know what to say, it's just like the avoidance of the subject. Right. And like, if, if something has happened to person X, just not talking about the thing that we fear could trigger that when really right. they're sad already. Yeah. Uh, the other one has this lady says, my brother's dying and I'm his caretaker. I want to be cared for, invited and treated as gently as a grieving person because I already am one. Uh, that's so good. even though they haven't died yet. And the next one, I wish people would step up for my son, invite him to do something he would have done with his dad. Uh, it would be a great gift. So a lot of these, they're hard. You put yourself in those shoes and you're like, oh, I don't, I don't know what I would do in that situation. But oftentimes our goal is to like pretend the grief isn't there and that's not helpful. Yeah, and I, th- I think these other ones are also just as, just as important. Uh, would you ask me what might feel good to me this year rather than telling me what I should do? I might not know the answer, but I appreciate being asked. Uh, I like when we raise a toast to those not present and say their names. It's sad, but it's real. Acknowledging who's missing really helps. And last one here, I, I want to be invited to things even if I most often decline. It means a lot to be invited. P.S. I like invitations to coffee or lunch or <laughs> more than parties. Like I, yeah. I, 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 I think um, that's an important reminder, too, because I, I know I've heard a lot of people say things like, yeah, I reached out and she keeps declining. Yes. She keeps saying no. So yes, I, I was just having this conversation about really? someone the other day. And how did you coach them through that uh no me and another person this i don't mean to sound like gossipy like we were talking about another person but not in that way but we were like you know uh yeah i've i've reached out to person x and they keep saying no and i've reached out Mm. and we were able to tell each other listen that's it still means a ton to ask so let's keep asking yeah not in a pressure way we i always say to this person like hey totally fine if you say no like totally fine uh but do you want to grab coffee no i don't really feel like it like like, don't take that personally. Right. Uh, and so it was good for me and this other person to have this conversation be like, okay, we're both experiencing the same thing. Uh-huh. Uh, and it's completely natural. Let's continue to press in and at least make sure this person knows we love them. This is how it ends, too. I think this is great. This is from a grieving person's perspective. It says, more than anything, I want to be able to tell the truth about how hard this is sometimes. Just hearing it without trying to fix it is the best gift you can give. And it ends by saying this. There's no right or wrong way to do the holiday season. It's important to reach out and connect whether you're grieving or trying to support someone who is. And one last thing for helpers, it's okay to feel awkward. You don't need to be perfect, just yeah. present. I think that that idea of presence, of like being fully present, I don't think platitudes and sanctimonies can hold a candle to presence, mm-hmm. right? And some of us, in Christianity in particular, we kind of slap 
Christian lingo on it, right? Maybe we have a favorite go-to verse or two. Yeah. And again, I don't want to discourage people from like quoting scripture. I think it can be really important, but much like this comic is depicting is sometimes just hearing me out because I'm, you know, like this person saying, everyone in my life is trying to fix me right now. Mm. Just having a friend that like is acknowledging how hard this actually is might be the thing that your friend or your family member, you know, actually needs most in this world. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so I think for those of us who aren't in the throes of grief or, or who are all feeling joyful this Christmas, I think a beautiful thing about an article like this is to be reminded that not everybody feels that way. Yeah. And uh, just to be able to uh, have that mindset. And then you you know who the people are out there probably who are grieving. Uh, and so to go sometimes, not always, I know, but my point is when we talk about this, there's probably some people that come to mind, I should say. Yeah. And so, uh, not ignoring that grief, not ignoring them, uh, but, but maybe thinking through what, how can I be a blessing to them this Mm -hmm. holiday season? I think is a great thought to have. And it's, it's an important place to start because I imagine some people listening and going, I don't actually know that anyone in my life is grieving. Well, somebody probably is. Yeah. So if like names aren't coming to mind, maybe, maybe take that as an invitation to like hit pause in your own life just for a quick second, do a quick assessment, a quick scan, like, oh, who has seemed a little off or mm. a little absent or a little, you know what I mean? Like those are the things that I think in our own, especially during Christmas, especially during the season of, you know, buying and consuming and parties. Like a lot of that, a lot of our attention spans can be really chopped in half and we don't yeah. really, you know what I mean? Like that's the kind of stuff that I think part of being a Christian, part of like incarnational ministry is learning to be really, really present with people when everything seems to be going the other direction. Yes. And uh, either way, we share that as, you know, Brian and I, we're not necessarily people who are in the midst of grief, but know people who are. I'd love to know, what do you think this comic gets right? What yeah. totally misses the mark? What would you add? What would you take away? What would you tweak? What are things that maybe you found either as someone in grief or someone who had a friend in grief that you have found to be helpful? I think this is something that the common good community can Absolutely. really kind of come alongside to just do better this year. So kind of in line with some of that, I was trying to create some uh, some flow with the show today. Uh, coming up next, 10 Truths for your difficult season of life. We're going to talk about that next coming up on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show. And our dweeby little smiling faces are right there on the... Speak for yourself. Okay, my dweeby smiling face (laughs) and Brian's immaculate face. I, That's you, better. You know what I noticed, by the way, when they were first kind of creating the page and everything? There's like multiple versions of the cover photo and then our profile photo. Okay. And some of them, the only difference is whose shoulder they photoshopped <laughs> to be in front of the other. And I'm like, Who's, who does that, does that communicate dominance? Does that communicate authority? And I was like, oh, there's multiple versions of these because those photos were not actually standing that close to, together. Those are all, oh, that's right. those are that's all photoshopped. Right. Yes. Also, a little inside baseball, my teeth are not that white. At uh, all. Yeah. Are yours? Probably not. No, they're not. <laughs> Probably, Probably not. not. All right. Now I got to go look at the picture. It's out here on the way out. I'll have to look at it again. <laughs> uh, all right. So we were just talking about uh, grief mm-hmm. during the holiday season in particular and how we can kind of better care for people in the midst of grief. Or maybe if you're someone who is in the midst of grief, ways that you can help other people not say hurtful or dumb things. And uh, this is... This is actually a couple years old, but I thought it was really good. It says, 10 truths for your difficult season of life. It says, starts like this. 
It's been said that uh, we're always in at least one of three seasons of life. One, we're in the middle of something. Two, we're about to be in something. Three, we just got out of something. That something is usually a difficult season in our lives. It's never really a matter of will we have a difficult season. It's a matter mm-hmm. of when. You're saying, mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. you, uh, you concur? I say that to our church all the time. Yeah, Jesus doesn't say if you have trouble. He right. says when, when you have right. trouble. You may not nece- necessarily find yourself in tough times today, but God's word tells us that we will experience dry and difficult seasons. They may be seasons of loneliness, seasons of lack, or seasons when we just don't feel like God is with us. And just cards on the table, I've felt all of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, the good news is that God's word is also filled with hopeful promises that he is with us in every season of life, especially the dark and difficult ones. So the next time you find yourself in tough times, consider these 10 truths, 10 promises that God has given us in his word. And before I give you the 10, these are admittedly a little proof texted, yep. right? And that's not what we're talking about right now. So Brian and I are not going to give you the historical literary context of these verses and explain to you that's not what that really means. Honestly, these are just sort of like 10 things. And if you're a note-taking type, you might want to you know, get a pen or hit pause or whatever. Because uh, I actually find them to be really helpful, especially, especially since I know so many people find this current season such a difficult one. And uh, I thought these were pretty good. So why don't you kick us off? Absolutely. Isaiah 41.10, don't be afraid for I'm with you. Don't be discouraged for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. That's good, man. Number two, Psalm 9, 9 through 10. The Lord is a shelter for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. Mm -hmm. Those who know your name trust in you. For you, O Lord, do not abandon those who seek you. Amen. Psalm 46, 1. God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in times of trouble. I love how many of these speak to God's presence. God yeah, being right. present. Uh, John sixteen thirty three. I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me here on earth. You will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because mm. I have overcome the world. That one to me is like a twofer. It's not just like I'm present with you, but hey, this whole world thing that's got you down, I've already conquered it. Like yeah. I'm already over it. You know. Yeah. Uh, Philippians chapter four, verses six through seven. Don't worry about anything. If the verse just stopped there, that would be very unhelpful. Uh, Yeah, right. Right? right. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything you can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live uh, in Christ Jesus. And staying in Philippians, a letter, by the way, that Paul wrote while in jail or house arrest, likely like shackled to a wall or a guard. Like, just keep that in mind. Yep. Uh, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That's one of the ones that I think we've done a previous segment on often being proof texted. Correct. But I'm not going there now. Yep. But the point being, it's not like, oh, I can dunk a basketball because God gives me strength. Right, right, right. It has to do with this struggle. Psalm 18, verse 6, in my distress, I called to the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. A lot of psalms in this list. Psalm 18.2, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Psalm chapter 23, the famous one, Psalm 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And lastly, number 10, Deuteronomy 31, 8. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. And the whole article ends like this. Uh, Take some time today and thank God for your season. Even though it may be tough, there's something that Christ is working out in you through this time that 
may not have happened without being in this season. Trust that he's in control and lean into his rest and provision for your life. I don't know. I just thought in the midst of, and we talked about it a couple of times, even today and yesterday, all the craziness of the season, yeah. all the stuff, all the people, all the things that kind of incline us toward worry and stress. Uh, these are the kind of things that even as I'm reading them, I'm thinking, yeah, I needed to re- be reminded of that. Yeah. Yeah. Again, and so many of them pointing us to God's presence. Like not, none of these are like, Hey, Pray more and God will take all your problems away. Right, right. Like it points to God's presence. It points to God's comfort. It points to God's victory. Uh-huh. Uh, and th- those types of things we can hold on to. That last paragraph also hints at a very important thing that we've discussed before that, while we often don't welcome struggle. <laughs> like yeah, none of us right. like, I hope I can have it. Right. It is an opportunity uh, and people talk about this all the time, an opportunity to know God in some more deep ways than you do in your times of, of great um, prospering. And I think there's something too that I've often said, the times I knew God most deeply were in some of my most painful times, which I would never want to go back to. Right. It's not like, oh, I got to recreate that pain so I can know God right, more deeply. Right. But God does show up in those times of real struggle. And I think we can take heart in that. I wonder why you think that. It, like I had a, a professor that used to say, our roots go down deepest in the desert or something like that. That imagery mm. was always really powerful to me. Like we talk about desert seasons, right? Where yeah. you just feel exhausted or spent or without a lot of hope. It's like in the desert, you know, it's the, it's the desert areas that force uh, the tree to, to, you know, reach its roots way down deep to find the nutrients. Yep. It's, it's what ends up really kind of anchoring a tree. And he goes, I think the same is true for our dry seasons or our difficult seasons where, like you were saying, I wouldn't wish this on anyone. You know, you and I have both shared that we've gone through difficult stuff, both in our marriages and yep. our ministry and our family. I wouldn't say, yeah, let's go back to that. That, <laughs> that was fun. But by the grace of God, we can look back and say, yeah, yeah, but man, there was some character that grew in me. There was some, there was some grind. There was some grit that was, that was sort of birthed in me that I don't know would be there otherwise. And the other thing about that that's really freeing is like that we can't take credit for that. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like we because we just admitted that we would never ask for those seasons. Yes. In fact, usually the opposite, right? Like, Lord, just take this from me. When the answer is no, I want you to walk through this and I'll be with you. That, I think, is where we like build some of our spiritual muscles. And I think that I think we lose a lot. I heard a preacher recently he said, if you shortcut the struggle you'll shortchange your maturity hmm. or something, something like yeah, that. Like yeah. the temptation to cut corners, like, ah, you know, to either Lord, just take this away from me or to self-medicate or to run to some sort of escapist option. He's like, no, no, lean into whatever the difficulty is, because that's actually what's growing and maturing you. Yes. When we shortcut the struggle, we shortchange the growth. And I don't know, I, f- I found that to be actually weirdly helpful, yeah. even though it, you know, kind of rhymes yeah (laughs) which is a benefit bob goff always said never trust anything that rhymes (laughs) i i do think you know those of you who are in the midst of the struggle right now uh hopefully these are encouragements to you and that they're not encouragements that Ian and i have come up with right Right, they're out of scripture god's presence is an encouragement his uh his comfort is an encouragement but also hopefully you realize that they are opportunities to lean in. Like, I feel like every time I've got through really hard times, I've, those are opportunities to lean in or to, quite frankly, uh, shake our fist at God and run away. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, these also are best done in community. People yes. being able to speak truth over you. It's asking a lot of somebody in the midst of struggle to be like, hey, by the way, like, 
learn these, own these, <laughs> right, live in these. Right. No, you, you need people around you. And so uh, if you're not in a struggle right now, I'd encourage you to be that person for somebody else. And the other thing, I would be remiss not to at least mention this. If one of those did really resonate with you, go and read the whole context. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> like, write the verse somewhere, put it on a mirror, put it on your dashboard, but also, like, go read what was actually... In fact, there's so much free commentary online, too. Mm-hmm. Not You know, some of them aren't great. But it's a good place to start, though. Get a study Bible. Find out, all right, what, what did this actually mean to them? What was the context? I think, honestly, for me, that doesn't lessen the meaning of those things. I think knowing why it was written or who it was written yeah. to yeah. initially actually kind of elevate. It helps it come alive a little bit for me. So if one of those stood yeah. out to you, I encourage you... Go learn a little bit more about it. I think you'll be encouraged by it. Well, we're going to land the plane next. I think we're kind of in need of this now that we talk yes. a lot about sadness and grief. We're going to end the show the way that we always do with a little interweb insanity stories we have not read, sound effects we have not seen. We're going to giggle and cry right along with you. That's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. <clears throat> Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. It is that wacky, wild moment of the show where most of you are turning off your radios. Yep. Uh, it is interweb insanity, stories that we have not read, sound effects we have not heard, chosen by our executive and regular producer. <laughs> regular producer? That feels less cool than executive. Yeah. Our normal. No, nah, that's not great either. Either way, there are stories we have no idea what they are and we'll stumble all over all of them the way that we normally do. I don't know. Right, you, you go first. Germany. Huge <laughs> hall of treasures stolen in German castle vault heist. Hmm. Thieves have stolen around 100 pieces of priceless treasure in an audacious heist from the castle vault in the German city of Dresden. Several criminals gained access money to the Green Vault, one of the largest collections of masterpieces in Europe, lifting artifacts of immeasurable value. This is an attack on the cultural identity of all Saxons and the state of Saxony, they said. (laughs) The vault features an astounding collection of historical jewelry and precious ornaments. Do you really think you have a chance against us, Mr. Cowboy? (laughs) Uh, Favorite moment of the day? You saying Saxony with all the fervor in the world. All right, Pennsylvania. Lancaster County man finds couples sleeping in his bedroom. Mm. This is terrifying. Mm -hmm. Police have arrested two people after they were found asleep in a man's home while in possession of drugs. Ah, there you go. Amy Allwine. That's an unfortunate <laughs> name. Not just the drugs, but she drank all wine. She is all wine of Leola and Eric Campbell, big fan of soup, of Rothsville, are facing <laughs> felony criminal trespassing and possession of drug charges for the role in the incident. On November 23rd, police received a call from a man in the first block of Martin Avenue in Ephrata who said that uh, when he entered his room around 6.50 a.m., he found all wine and Campbell asleep in an upstairs bedroom. <laughs> That's pretty good. It's not bad right there. You know the band, obviously, right? Nope. Yes, you do. No. I know the song. What? You know the song, but not the band? Correct. The band is called The Who. Oh, okay. I know who The Who are. I just... It doesn't sound like like you do. Well, you know what Lancaster... They're saying their name. Do you know what what Lancaster, Pennsylvania is known for? Um, Wait, Mennonites. Yeah, the Amish. Largest Amish community out there. I did know that. North Carolina. Greensboro man creates dating app where he's the only guy allowed. <laughs> Must be homeschooled. 31. <laughs> Sorry. 30, 25 year old John Benedict can put his finger on exactly. <laughs> Public school for 14 years, my friend. What's okay. wrong with dating app? The biggest problem with other apps is that my face is not featured prominently. Oh, gosh. To cut down on competition, he created a new app called Singularity. 
What's unique about this new app is that he's the only guy allowed on it. No matter how many times you swipe, it's only different versions of his picture. Well, when life gives you lemons. Okay, so that drop only makes sense if because I kept reading. Yeah, in the story, if life gives you lemons, you should first make lemonade, he said. Then make sure no other companies can produce or distribute <laughs> their own soft drinks, so the only game in town is lemonade. What an inspiration. Uh, All right, Texas, we are running out of time. Yeah. That, that was good. <laughs> U.S. Customs officials seize 154 pounds of bologna at the Texas Mexico border. This story is baloney. U.S. Customs and Border Protection confiscated an unusual and sizable delivery this week, 154 pounds of prohibited bologna. What made it prohibited? I don't know. Customs officials seized 14 packages of the Mexican bologna ah, Thursday morning at the Bridge of the Americas port of entry in El Paso, Texas. The agency said in a statement issued the next day, the product is banned because it is, ready for it? made from pork and can introduce foreign animal diseases. Mm. Did these sound like the actions of a man who had all he could eat? (laughs) That could have been me. I just am always surprised by how bologna is spelled. Oh, yeah. The fact that it's spelled the same way and pronounced the same way as pony is infuriating. Like, how would you explain to your kid there that it's not bologna? I don't know. I'm telling my kid it's bologna. Uh, Canada, last one. BC Town accidentally invites everyone to take photos with Satan at their Christmas fair. <laughs> Not every spelling mistake you make is is going to be caught by spell check or the human eye, but thankfully the good people of the internet are always there to point them out. Recently, a newspaper in British Columbia made an unintentionally hilarious error in an advertisement for a local Christmas fair. The Comics Valley Record typo accidentally invited everyone to take photos with Satan at a holiday event in Courtney, B.C. Could it be Satan? <laughs> Such a good... Some people probably have no idea who that even is, right? Oh, no. Brian Fromm spilled water <laughs> all the over the desk to end the show. I, I don't know how you have this many accidents every single show. He's it's little, like a daily occurrence. He's literally scrambling to move electronics out of the way. That was <laughs> not way over to end this show Oh, right my there. gosh. Well, hopefully we'll still have a show tomorrow and every day <laughs> at 4 to 6 p.m. Right here on AM 1160. Hope for your life.